The Drum Candy Podcast is brought to you by Drum Factory Direct. What's up, everyone? Welcome into episode 34 of the Drum Candy Podcast. This is your host, Mike Dawson, coming to you from Drum Factory Direct in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I appreciate your patience with this week's episode. Had to be delayed a few days to coordinate with the release of a signature snare drum for this week's guest, the great Ash Stone. If you're not familiar with Ash's work, you've certainly heard his playing on many hit records. Most recently, he played drums on the new Matrix movie soundtrack, and there's just a ton of credits. So just go to his site if you want to get a list of, of hit records that Ash has appeared on, if you're not familiar. Also, if you're not following him on Instagram, he's always posting cool stuff that he's developing in his own practice, which is what we talk about a little bit in this episode. And then we, um, obviously, we want to talk about his new snare drum. So let's get to it. The great Ash Zone. What are you currently practicing? You seem to me to be someone who's always searching for new new stuff. So what are you currently working on? I, well, I, I have been working on, if, if, if there's anybody out there watching that have sort of follow me on social media there's there's one particular thing that i've kind of i'm obsessed with at the moment isn't and that is the feeling of groups of five mm. um so I, I i'm still messing around with that continually uh which the sort of the broader uh kind of um view of that is is that those hip hop grooves that feel the sort of wonky hip hop grooves? I've always sort of been obsessed with how they feel and um, and how the drummers, uh, the concept of playing that. Is it just a feeling? Is it mathematical? Has it been broken down? You know, is Chris Dave going, okay, I'm going to drop into the fives now, or is he just dropping into a feel? Um, and I'm, you know, I'm sort of currently still working on that mm. to try and figure out what it is. I now I've, I've been playing those sort of five, those, um, five sort of grooves so much now that it is actually starting to, to sort of become a feeling for me, you know, like sixes are, you know, obviously mm-hmm. all of us would just go, there you go. You don't even, you don't think about that, the number you just is you think of the feel, you know, the feeling happens, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. So I'm trying, I'm get, it's starting to get to that place with me now. And I really like the sort of oddness of it. Love it. In fact, because it's, you know, I mean, it's so obvious. It's not four and it's not six. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's not quite, it's well, well, a good way of putting it it's not quite in the comfort zone of four and it's not obviously quite in the comfort zone of six. It's in the, it's in a sort of slightly uncomfortable place, but I really enjoy it. So I I'm continually working on that. Uh, is, it, uh, is there a practical yeah. application for you for it? Or is it just experimental at this point? Well, it's mainly experimental, but also sound wise, it ties in as well. Cause I love the sounds that those drummers are getting mm. uh, and those producers get. Um, so it's a sort of double, you know, a two pronged um, kind of adventure. Uh, but also, uh, y- you know, pop music, which is essentially I'm getting employed to play on, on pop songs. And you, what I've always said about pop music is, is eventually all of the, the sort of art that goes on with with the genres of music, it gets watered down to pop music. Mm. So so the, these these grooves that sound like groups of five and they're like, what the fuck's going on here? Eventually, somebody will, you know, in absolute mainstream pop, will will want that sort of mm-hmm. <laughs> on their record and a producer will go you know that thing when they when it sounds like they're it's a bit out of time but it's not i, you know, I can i can hear a producer saying it no, no one said it to me yet but i can hear some uh, at some point in my life someone's going to go you know that thing you know where it's like and i'm going to go yeah i know what, what you're talking about so in a way i am you know yeah preparing for I mean, it's already happening. You know, you can you can hear 
the influence of hip hop, you know, coming right right up to sort of like British sort of pop stars. You know, if you think about the origins of of, of that stuff to where it's happening now in the UK, for instance, it's it's quite a, it's quite an interesting journey. But you know, people listen. That's the great thing about music. You, you don't have to live in Philly to to appreciate or play hip hop. You know, uh, I guess. Mm. Or New York, or whatever you know, it's um, you can you can be in Dublin and, <laughs> and totally getting into it. You know, what were some trends in the past <clears throat> that you had to work through as well? Were there other like rhythmic trends, trends or sonic oh, this, trends? I, this is this is it. I'm old enough to sort of see the see the sort of pattern of of, of, of sounds, especially mm-hmm. actually, but also yeah, like feels the way you know the ni- the way the '90s felt. It was where where, where I, where I uh, started my sort of professional sort of journey, um, and then the two, you know, in the the sort of two thousand and each, sort of each decade, it would it would evolve, um, and I'm like I say, I'm old enough to sort of, s- of seeing that happen and hearing that happen. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, you know, we were talking about earlier about a particular snare drum. That sound, I think, will come back round. You know, sounds seem to come back round. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and maybe feels do. I don't. I don't know. I think uh, a lot of feels. Someone said to me the other day. Uh, a producer said, "Really, there's only there's only like two grooves, isn't there?" And I was like, uh, "Well, no, there's a couple more." <laughs> <laughs> but he, but what he was getting at was really when you're when you're writing, you know, it's really interesting from that perspective, from from, from producer's perspective, because what he was talking about was it's just the sounds in his mind. It's just the sounds that change. Hmm. It's actually not that. It's not really the feel. But of course, as drummers, we know that there's a minutiae of things that change. But you know. Yeah, it's it's really interesting that that, that perspective from someone from that angle, mm-hmm. you know, s- saying that there's only two grooves. <laughs> it's like, wow, if it, only it was that simple. <laughs> yeah, I guess you haven't listened to much African music. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so that's you brought up a good a point I wanted to bring up. So I was listening to, first of all, I didn't realize you put out an EP this year. I just found it on Apple Music. Oh, yeah. Was, but I was listening to the previous thing you did in 2011, or it was more like a like a loop project or something. Oh, the gro- the grooves thing. Yeah. So I yeah. was listening to that, and that is all big, fat, clean, punchy, focused sounds. Yeah. And then the new EP, which is titled Six Six Nine Nine One. Yeah, which is my uh-huh. oh, my old speedo. <laughs> that's one that died yeah well yeah it's one that died and uh it well it died at uh yeah that's that's the mileage it died at <laughs> um yeah you must have rode that thing hard <laughs> <laughs> but the, so the sounds on your ep are are yeah. not that they're very kind of gritty still punchy and 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 I, you can tell it's you but it's like you're going for a much more processed sound yeah. So, was, how, what is that evolution? Is that based on the music you're playing in 2011 required that fat, clean sound versus the music you're playing now? Is it just your taste? You know, what's a, what's a the combination? Evolve? A com- okay. combination of those things. So, the thing in 2011 wasn't recorded here. Mm. That that was recorded um, at a friend of mine's studio. That is my is my Gretsch night. That's my 1963 Gretsch Rambadge. And we just did that, that whole thing in one night, basically. I said, you know, I think I should put some, just push some grooves out, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was kind of long enough ago, it was before the whole sort of loop projects and people, now Mm -hmm. there's so many things that you can get now. Um, This was, this is sort of the start of it, really. Um, And actually, if if I'd focused for longer than three minutes on it, and I thought about it. I, we could have got in quite early and and started the whole, you know, l- loop uh, 
journey and probably done quite well out of it actually but mm-hmm. um, it was just a thing that I had in my mind I wanted to just sort of get some grooves down we were, and we were doing a session actually and it was the, the end of a session we'd finished and it was about sort of nine o'clock nine thirty at night and I said I've got 12 grooves he's like let's do them come on and, we, and it was the kit was set up so it was the kit that I was working on on an album I can't remember which album it was um but probably back then you know james morrison or something um and it was just at the end of a session and we captured that kit mm-hmm. uh with, with just a few different grooves and i'll put some perk on it later um yeah that's all that was really and this the 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 ep that i put out recently um is from here and it's it's for me I'm doing another one. I'm, I'm working on another one now. I, I'd like to sort of have a bunch of them that sort of show the sort of evolution of my sound in this in this room, really, mm-hmm. where I'm at. You know, I remember talking, you know, to our mate, um, Mark Giuliano, and, and he, he sort of touched on that about putting music out. It's much more than just putting music out. It's like a little snapshot mm-hmm. of, of where you are playing-wise, where you are sound wise you're you're all everything is just like bam your influences at that time you know the the kit sound you're getting the chop that you're working on you know it's it's mega really and and i kind of like that idea and that that ep's definitely was where i was at then and it the five thing that we were talking about earlier it sort of ties in with that it's there's that similar sort of sticking was what i started messing about with on there you know and what's what is the sticking on that bunch of is a bunch of fives where you do that like quintuple it yeah. thing is the snare yeah. hitting on four what's happening can you break it down i think it is on four actually okay. yeah <laughs> um it's, it hits on four and then i've realized so now i've there's a couple of posts away on my instagram that i'm now it's sort of like a two and a it seems like it's a two and a four mm-hmm. uh, just like it seems like it's a, a, a straight beat, but it ain't. Um, I've moved it around a little bit, but yeah. So I, I sent that groove to Stuart Copeland, and, and Stuart Copeland thinks I'm mad, <laughs> <laughs> which which makes me laugh really because like um, he's he's pretty out there. Yeah, sure. he's as mad as a guy. And then it, and then he, he did that. This was in lockdown last year. He, he did that. He played all that stuff on it. Um, bass and guitar and all that and came up with that really sort of bonkers kind of equalizer type you know um backing track um yeah love him uh but yeah that that's so that that's sick and i just sort of found it one night i was messing around in here um and i found it and i and i uh and i'm just still persevering with it really and it it's really i i I, I can't sort of, um, yeah, I guess I'm obsessed with that, <laughs> with, that <laughs> with the way that it feels, you know, it's, it's such an unusual, well, for me, I've been playing drums since I was 10. Um, and I'm considerably older than that. And I guess, you know, my whole life it's been, you know, four and six and maybe seven at a push. Mm. So five is a really unusual feeling for me. And I think it is for quite a lot of drummers, actually. Mm-hmm. And I think what I'm aiming for is to make that five feel as good or as natural, rather, as, as a four or, or a, a six grouping, you know. Mm-hmm. Just drop into it, you know. That, that would be great. I'd like to... And I, I, I'm, I definitely feel like I'm getting there now. Yeah. So I want to back up. What was the what was the snare on the 2011 beat project? Do you remember? So that would have been super fat sounding. Yeah. So that is was the beginning of the journey for Fat Max. That okay. sound. Um, and the producer at the time, we were talking about Al Green at the time. Uh, and actually, this this sort of. Um, throw something up in the air, which is quite interesting, I think. Your perception of the sound when you think of a record to when you actually, then you listen to it, you get, oh, God, it's it's actually not as fat as I thought or it's not as, uh, 
this, the snare's not as high pitched or as, as gated as I thought, but you've got this kind of a, a sound in your head, you know. Um, and we sort of came up with that that sort of sound as a as a general sort of um, that sort of Al Greeny um, production sound, and it, it's much more sort of. Um, of a caricature of that sound mm-hmm. on that record. But that snare is a Yamaha Maple Absolute 13 by 7. That's what it is. No kidding, a 13. Yeah. Yeah. Detuned. Absolutely fully detuned. Yeah. Interesting. And the so I wanted to ask you about the wires. We're getting nerdy here. Okay. Sounds like you keep your snare wires like pretty tight all the time. Is that correct or not? Well, yeah, I guess they are. Yeah, yeah. Because like, there's a one point on that where you're playing some ghost notes, and it's almost like the snares are choked. But when you hit right. the backbeat, it's like fully compressed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's the secret to that. You got to kind of crank the wires considerably higher than you would think. I don't. I. I've never analyzed it like that. Mm. I'll be honest okay. with you. I'm, I'm going to confess now that I've not. I've not got super nerdy. Uh, that way i guess what i would have done is tweaked around with it until it f- felt good you, do you know what i mean mm. i think having the snares tighter when you play a grace note it's going to be much more even at like a, a, a drum that's detuned it's still going to be quite sensitive if they're tighter obviously mm-hmm. and then when you whack it, it it's almost gates doesn't it because the mm-hmm. snares whoosh, they, they do that thing right um and I guess I would have. That's the sound. It would have sounded nice in the room, and and you know, and amazingly, it seems to have sort of uh, worked when we press record. <laughs> so, what is the Fat Max drum? Let's dig dig into that beast. What is it? Yeah. So um, let's, uh, let's let's grab this one here. Um, so that is a fourteen by four. Um, oh, here we go. Look. Oh, that's gorgeous. Yeah. Um, Max Roach Sig. Um, the hoops are die cast, I think. Um, solid. I mean, like, you feel it feels like sort of a quality lump of gear. Um, and I detune it completely. The bottom's quite detuned. Um, thick head on top. And at the moment, I've got a, a P77 I've put on mm. top. It's pretty okay. thick, actually. Um, an O-ring, and then maybe a gel or two. Um, and then the, the wires, funnily enough, are tightened up. Mm-hmm. Because when you get to that sort of pitch, if they're too uh, sloppy, then it, it, it kind of... Well, it actually, you can change the pitch of the drum at that stage with the wires mm-hmm. I find is there any like miking secret or you just put a 57 on and it's ready to go well it's got it's got 56 uh, beta 56 underneath okay and on top it's got a 1970s uh, 421 okay yeah but I've tried a couple of different things on top um, I tried a, a just a 57 and, and it actually did sound all right I, I kind of like that 70s. I like the idea of this sort of 70s uh, 41. And it, and it just goes, actually, now I've got it going straight into an API. Um, and then it's luxuriously got its own distressor, um, which gives it that that whole length, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's got a lot of treatment before it's even comes into my into Pro Tools in a way. It's got a, a nice preamp. It's got a vintage mic on it, and it's got a you know, fifteen hundred quid uh, compressor, <laughs> compressor of its own, really. You know, um, so does, the, the, uh, does the plug-in version not give you the the effect you're looking for? It, it's in, well, I've AB, I've certainly AB the the plugin and and the actual thing, and it, it's it. It's similar, but there is definitely there's something else going on with the the, the actual hardware. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's sort of longer, or if that's I guess simplest simply put, 
it seems like there's a longer decay on everything mm-hmm. from the real thing. All right. So along the same lines, the kick drum sound on the EP right. seems to be a bit more mid-rangey than in previous stuff. Is that mic yeah. choice? Is that tuning? Is it head selection? What's the- well, There's no head on the front. Okay. For starters. Although I've just changed that the other day. I've put a, I've put a bass drum head back on the front. Um <laughs> And it's, it's, it's absolutely, and I didn't, so I recorded it. It's probably been about a year and a half that I've, I've had no front bass drum head on. Mm. Um, and then the other day I put a bass drum head back on just to see, and I didn't mess with any of the levels in any of my sessions. And the mics are pretty much in the same position. Um, and it's, it's really interesting what happens, you know, Totally different. Well, it's it's. I think it's to do. It's it's air. Obviously, there's no air hitting the two microphones that are outside of, in front of the head now. Mm. So so there's a lot of top that goes, and and I and that sort of really uh, that sort of clicky sound, um, sort of disappears. It gets much fluffier with it with the bass drum head on, and then of course you got the added real actual tone of, 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 um, of having another head on the front, mm. you know, like there's a note. Whereas of course there's no, there's hardly anything with, with when you take the front front head off. Um, the reason I took the front head off is I saw a picture of Beccaro's kit with a, uh, a vintage 41 oh, at the time, a new 41 <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> inside and a, and a, uh, NS 10 on a, you know, one of those sort of sub kick mm-hmm. made, made things hanging. And I thought, oh, okay, I've got a sub kick. And I've got a 41 about that age. Let's see what it sounds like. And I really initially, I was like, wow, that's an interesting, it's an interesting sound. Um, so I stuck with it for quite a while. And that, so that the EP features that, that noise. Okay. What's yeah. the rest of the kit on the EP? Do you remember? Is it so what you currently have? Yeah, it's, it's my, it's, this current broadcaster. So, you know, the, the toms would be like a, a 10, 12, 16. Okay. 22 by 14. The, the sort of more, that, that longer bass drum that's sort of got a that's distorted and longer and, and open, that's the 20 by uh, 16, I guess it is, um, bass drum. My, you know, my sort of auxiliary, auxiliary kick. Oh, right. Do you have that set up all the time? All the time. So I've got basically got two kit, kits oh. in every session um, ready ready to go. Yeah. Mm. That's what a lot of people go, God, you've got a lot of mics up. It's like, yeah, they're not all on it. <laughs> well, they are all on at the same time, but they're not, you know, the, the, I might not use them it, if I send somebody something, but I'm just not going to take them down. Why would I do that? There's, in fact, I'm actually thinking about sticking another set of overheads up. So people are going to be going, why have you got two sets? <laughs> I want to put my four one fours up just to get that that sort of brighter. There's another sound that I'm starting to sort of get into, and I'm, I'm experimenting with that. Oh, oh, are you getting back into the '90s sound? Is that where precisely, we're precisely? Yeah. <laughs> well, I I basically watched a an interview with Hugh Padgham. Okay. Who is the the producer of uh, you know Peter Gabriel and and Sting and. Uh, and I, I mean, his kick sound is fascinating. It, it's the same over like decades. It's not just like, oh, a couple of albums. It sounds the same. It's, it's like, it, that's the sound that he got with, with different drummers. So if you listen to Soul Cages, the kick is very similar, which is Manu Cache. And then 20 years later, Vinny or whatever, and it's like it's sound. It's a that's the similar sort of sound, but different mm. drummer, different decade, same producer. Absolutely amazing, uh, and it's really hard getting that noise. Getting mm. that sound is is well. You know, you you you're on the journey the same as me. You know, yeah. Soul cages are some of the cleanest, coolest drum sounds I think it's, ever ever it, made. Get, getting properly clean, but 
but also there's a lot of stuff going on. It's, it, it's not like, oh, it's not, it is a natural sound, but it's, it's not really. There's gating going on, mm-hmm. all sorts of stuff. Um, really clever stuff. But the drums sound amazing. Um, that's one of the reasons why I put a head on the back on the front, because there's a, there's a roundness to those bass drums on those records that I've not had uh, for a year and a half because I've had no... And you, you, can you just put it down to that? Is it just the front head? It's, it's definitely part of it, you know? <laughs> so are you going to be going back to down in the reverb world here? Well, I've, I, yeah, I have done actually. The last couple of days I've been putting a bit of verb on. <laughs> you know. All right, you're, so you're but, right, you know, full circle. <laughs> some, some, of those, um, some of those tricks those dudes did, though, I mean, it's absolutely amazing. You know, when, when, you, when you start going in on it, on, on the mixing, um, you know, it, you know, compressing the bottom of a snare mm. and turning it up. And it's, it's almost louder than actually the, the top. Uh, and, and he's like, well, why is this? What's, what's that beautiful length to that snare? I mean, you're trying to figure it out. Is it the overheads? Like, where's that really nice sound coming from? And then you really you start, you know, you, you go in on, if you're lucky enough to listen to the the individuals, you, you start realizing, oh God, they've just they've turned the bottom up, mm. done some stuff to the bottom to make it, and it's all of these. Still, there's so many different tricks that you know we've got all got to learn. You know, and it every sounds day like that, on your EP you were going for a lot of stuff. Like there's a distortion channel happening. Like what, yeah. what do you got going on? Well, there? the crunch the, the crunchy thing I, I really love anyway. I've got three different crunch mics in my in my studio now um and you know let's let's uh to be realistic you know one of the reasons i'm doing that is because you know my my actual job is obviously not experimenting and putting stuff up on instagram (laughs) (laughs) i wish it was that but you know people when they're asking me to to actually play on some stuff they need a selection of sounds to sort of work on and and let's face it you know the, the sort of crunchy sounds it's it's everywhere in in music now and people, mm. people want it um so i give them i give them a few different versions of that you know so the phone you know people laugh at this phone mic but it's absolutely brilliant you know that sound just tucked in there it, it's really cool is that you know. the is that the real small distortion that kind of pokes through on on some it, of the tracks? Yeah, there's there's some of that. That's also that I'm, I'm using a particular plugin on that on a, another mic, um, which does that. Which is like a sort of um, what do they call it? Um, it's a keyboard thing that, uh, where it sort of changes the uh, you know like sawtooth and uh, mm, okay. What, what is that? I can't remember what they actually called that, but it sort of changes the transients of a of a synth. But I put it on a mic. Oh, cool! Um, so it's and that particular that is I think it's a they call it bat wing shape <laughs> is the one that's got that sort of yeah that's the one I was hearing yeah, yeah. and it's it can sound really cool on the hats you know. Uh-huh. Very sort of percussive, kind of cool little sound. Yeah, I mean, some people hate all this stuff, and and you know, I, I get now people are much more accepting of it. I think, but when I first started doing it, people are like, "Why have you got like a brilliant Gretsch drum kit?" But it doesn't sound anything like a Gretsch, or it doesn't sound like anything like a drum kit. And I'm just like, "Well, yeah, I'm sorry about that." But yeah, <laughs> do you listen to music? <laughs> it's just like. Uh, uh, you know, it's partly my job, really, to <laughs> experiment. And um, but, like I've just like I've just said to you, I'm, I am now spinning around and going, okay, let's, because I don't think I've ever actually sat down and gone, what's the most natural sound I can get in here? Mm. Uh, really, that's interesting. It's mm. and that's, that, a and that is, that's hard, as you know, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, no makeup. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no makeup and and, and um, yeah, straight away it shows up. You sort of you you if you've got any skill at all, um, yeah, it's hard. And that's that's why you know you, I, 
watching that uh, watching that documentary the other day with Hugh Padgham, it's like, I mean, absolute geniuses back then, you know, because they're doing it all without plugins. <laughs> Yeah, and, right. And doing Amazing. it without Pro yeah. Tools and, <laughs> and, and like an automate. I mean, I guess there was some kind of automation with the desk, but man, proper talent, mm-hmm. you know. Forks Drum Closet, Nashville's full line drum store. Celebrating its 40th year in business, Forks is independently owned and operated in the heart of Music City. Specializing in drums and percussion, Forks offers great discounts on all major brands and will beat any retailer's advertised price. From new and used equipment, vintage drums, and marching and orchestral instruments, Forks has something for every drummer. They also offer professional rental, repair, and restoration services, as well as drum lessons. Stop by their storefront at 308 Chestnut Street in Nashville, Tennessee, or call 615-383-8343, or go online at ForksDrumCloset.com. How much of your work these days is there versus going to another space? It's mainly here, but I, I do, I do get to London often, you know, not as often as I'd like, but I do, I do get down there. There's a couple of producers that still like to have me in the room. And um, there's one particular guy I've been working with recently with Sam Smith, mm-hmm. a guy called Jimmy Napes. And he's got a new studio, so he obviously wants to use it as, as much as he can. But he understands that sort of, you know, getting musicians together and, and routine in the song. Uh, he understands the sort of benefit of that, particularly with an artist like Sam Smith, you know. Um, so it's great working for him. I love going in there. And he's got he's got a Ludwig set up. Um, so I take I take a fat max down um, and, and a couple of my symbols and yeah, it's, it's, it's killer to do that. You know? mm-hmm. But so, mainly it's here, if I'm honest. So what is the process for you to get a remote track done? Do you get a full fleshed out demo? Is there a lot of pre-production? I mean, like, are you free to do whatever you want? You know, how do you go from here's a, here's what I want you to do to here's the final delivered drum track. Yeah. Well, it, it varies. I mean, some people know exactly what they want. Um, and I think, again, mentioning pop music, really, which is what I predominantly do, um, people kind of know what they, what they want, you know. So I've, I've got to get the sound. And, I, and they, they, they will send me, I ask for two files. I, I ask for the track without the drums. And then I, I ask for the demo drums, whatever they, whatever state they're in as a separate file. And then I, and I take my time to get as close as I can to their demo. And then that's the first thing I'll send is my version of their demo. And then we take it from there. They might go, that's really cool, but we want, we wanted it to be, to sound more like real drums or we need it to sound a little bit like this or wherever you go, you know? Mm. Um, but it, so far the, the working scenarios have been, have been all right, really. It's, it's not been, it's never been awkward. Um, I've, actually when it's been awkward is when the technology's not quite there. So, some people, a couple of people have wanted to zoom mm-hmm. and, and hear me do a take. And it's like, it is possible that, but with, uh, with the plugins and uh, with the, you know, universal audio, there's latency. There just is. Um, so straight away, you've got to turn everything off. So, well, now we haven't got the sound that we, that we're working on. Mm-hmm. You're, you're listening to my, you may as well just be in the room listening to, to me, without headphones on, which is pretty horrible. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Uh, So that, that's kind of a bit, that gets a bit messy sometimes, but in general, it's sort, it kind of, it works, you know? And Mm. I think, you know, the compromise of it, of that sort of like immediate feedback from someone when you've done a take, um, people, are accepting of that because of the upside, which is they can get on with other stuff while you're working. And, you know, there's a lot of people that 
amazingly sort of trust me to get on with it. And then I'll send them back and then we can have a little bit of a chat and start, you know, and, and, and I can revisit it. Um, it definitely is slower. There's no question. There's, there's some downsides to remote. Um, but the, the upsides are that, you know, people it's, well, the biggest upside is it is cheaper. Mm-hmm. There's no question about that. So in London, to get a studio to, to track drums, a good studio now is, is a thousand pounds plus for the room before they've even got me in. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm not charging people a thousand pounds for my studio. So mm-hmm. straight away, there's a win for them, really. You know, maybe, you know, maybe I should address that a little. But, um, at the moment for me, the upside of it is I just walk across my field with a cup of tea. Yeah, right. <clears throat> you know, I'm not, because it's, it's, a, it's a three and a half hour journey for me to go to London. And often I'll be in the car for seven hours and in the studio for maybe two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, ah, <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, could have did that at home, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and, then there's, and then there's that whole luxury of being able to, <sighs> let's have a listen to the track. Let's have a listen to the track again. Let's have a cup of tea mm. and listen to the track again before we've even played a note. It's fantastic. You know, rather than like, how long have we got? Okay. Can I, can I hear it one more time? Well, which bit do you want to hear? Can I hear all of it? Oh, okay. If you must, <laughs> you know, uh, it's that, you know, you sort of frantically sketching out a, a kind of, you know, a, a little cheat sheet to try and get you through the first couple of takes. You know, mm. not, none of that happens here. It's like, this is amazing. And I can live with the chorus for a while and go, okay, what am I? You know. Do you have like a, do you put a time limit on yourself so you don't spend 12 hours on one song? <laughs> how, do you, well, how do you keep yourself from going crazy with it? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think I, I've never really thought of it like that. But it seems, you know, realistically, I'll give it a certain amount of time. Um, recently I did another track for someone, uh, and, and, uh, they're particularly, um, into what, what they're doing and, and, but luckily I've been working for them for about three years on this, in this particular project. Mm -hmm. And so now I understand how deep they go, um, and so it's fine. And, and, and that was, that was a two or three day process to get one drum track done. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it's, but it's worth it though. Um, in the end. So was that, a, was that a sonic thing? Was it performance? What was, uh, what was the process? Yeah, both actually. Hmm. Um, but mainly per- performance, um, because they wanted to, well, they had a, they had, they had a, brilliant um kind of uh easy drummer programmed performance that was that, on the demo mm. and they, they they really fell in love with it which often often happens mm. so they wanted it as close to that sort of sonically but feel wise uh and it it was really particular um so it took it took a yeah like i say it actually did take three days um but it's going to be great. And hopefully I'll be able to talk about it properly in January when it comes out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Actually, when maybe this comes out. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so I see you've got a, a room full of snare drums behind you. Yeah. What, what are your, I don't know, three or four most used drums? Well, uh, that's certainly that, that uh, broadcaster uh, Max Roach thing. I'm, I use a lot. Yeah. Um, there's a prototype Gretsch that I have that I use quite a bit too, uh, which is a Purple Heart 12 by 7 It's um, not a prototype anymore, right? It's a signature drum. Well, I guess <laughs> the cat is out of the bag. It is, uh, yeah, it's coming out uh, on the 10th of January. Um, <laughs> and I'm very, very happy about that. It's been, it's been a while coming, but I've been using that a lot. Um, 
because I just love the sort of tone of it. Um, and it is, it's, it's quite, um, quite a versatile drum when you start adding dampening and detuning a little bit. It's got, it's got great crack to it. Um, and also lovely, sustain, an unusual sustain to it. Um, yeah, I love it. And I, and I'm very much looking forward to it being out there in the, in the wild and see yeah, if people, you know, see if people like it. Now those are uh, very extremely different sounds. Like yes. That's, that's kind of the, the uppers and the lowers. Yeah. You, do you avoid the middle? I oh, know I've got a couple of middlers, <laughs> okay. um, but I, I've got uh, a lovely 1976 um, Superphonic, which I love. Uh, and that does a lot of, well, can do both actually, can't it? If you think about it. But Is that the six it, and a half or the five? It's a six and a half. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and I've also got a um, Acrolyte, which is a five. That's 1969. That's I use that quite a lot. Um, there's a Yamaha Maple um, Absolute, which I used on Set Fire to the Rain, which is, I guess, it, it's sort of quite a cheap, simple snare drum. You're just a maple, mm-hmm. five and a half inch maple drum. But there's something really cool about it. It's like, I love it. Um, that gets used quite a bit. That's lovely in MIDI as well. Um, there's a few things around. Uh, but mainly, I mean, it's mainly Fat Max that gets most of the action, really. Um, so how do you decide which one to start with? I'll listen to their demo and then and see where mm-hmm. they're at. Uh, and then just trying to think of a sound that I've got in the room. I've got 50 snare drums, I think, in here, so there's a good chance we could get <laughs> we could get close to it. Um, and I'll stick something up. I, I actually put up, funny enough, I put a, a brass 13 by 7 uh, Yamaha put up to today. And I thought, God, I haven't heard this for a little while. I wonder, I wonder what it sounds like. Mm. Uh, and it's it was really nice, actually. Um, you know, because you just get set in your ways, don't you? That you you play. There's another drum actually, which I've completely missed out here, which is I've got a Bermuda Sand um, round badge, fifties uh, round badge, five and a half, which I use on. It's all over that EP, mm. um, and that gets a lot of action. That is a bit more mid, if I want it to be. Um, uh yeah but there's a lot of noises in here that i can i can i can just get off the take them down and put them on and just see you know Uh, um, as you know what has always fascinated me about recording is you'll play a drum in the room and you listen to it and you go okay that sounds like that and then you stick it on a stand and put a microphone on it and, and not doing hardly anything to it and then you listen back to it, it's like, wow, I didn't hear that. Mm. Yeah, I didn't hear that sustain, or I didn't hear that note, or I didn't hear that, um, the bottom, you know, or whatever. It's like, I love the whole process of recording because of that. So what, is, what does the 12-inch signature drum give you sonically? So, so the, what it... As we were talking earlier about, it started my, the, my whole journey into sort of Purple Heart. A, a friend of mine, a guy called Gary Noonan, made some Purple Heart snare drums in the early 90s in England. And I think actually, to, for the record, I think he was the first drum manufacturer in the world to use that wood. Hmm. And at the time, if you think about the early 90s, um, Steve Jordan was playing Brady's. And this guy basically was like, oh, I'm going to try and make a sort of, not a cut price, but like a, uh, a more accessible um, Brady type sound. Mm-hmm. And, he, and they're stave drums. It was a stave drum, Purple Heart. And I bought one. So did, so did Dave Maddox at the time. And I really loved the sound. And I was, I was really into, as I am still, Charlie Drayton and, and that Steve Jordan sort of main offender, you know, mm-hmm. which is a Keith Richards record, um, 1992, I think it was. Um, 
that really lovely sound, that, that sustained sound, uh, high crack to the drum, but then there's like, there's a ring to it with sort, which sort of suggested reggae and the Caribbean sort of influences as well as funk and all those things. Uh, and I, I really like that sound and, and it's always been part of my, my sort of journey. And, I, and so I bought one of those, those drums back then. Um, and it, it's kind of it's always that sound has stayed with me. Um, and then Gretsch made me a prototype about six years ago. Um, and it, it was similar, not exactly the same because the stave drum, my drum is, is ply, um, nine plies, I think, uh, and it's very different, you know, ply is just a little bit different sounding wise to the, the stave thing. Um, but that open sound is something that's always been around my, my, my plan. Um, mm-hmm. And that's where it really shines because it, it, that purple heart wood, you know, I was talking to another, another drum manuf- manufacturer and he was saying like this whole thing about, Oh yeah, I can tell the difference between a five and a half birch and a five and a half maple with an O-ring on. It's like, no, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you really Thank can't. Thank you I'm for sorry. saying it. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I, I, I'm going to stick my hand up in the air. I'm not sure if I can tell the difference between metal or wood sometimes. You know, it's I've gotten really, it wrong many times. <laughs> it's really difficult. But there's no question when you hear a wood like that, it's so unusual. It's like, okay, well, this isn't, it's certainly not, um, excuse the pun, run of the mill kind mm. of snare sound. It's like a, there's something slightly exotic going on. Um, and I really like it for that. It's a brave sound. Does you it know? ever scare anyone when you put it up? They're like, oh, I don't know about that sound. Yeah, yeah <laughs> some people, some people don't really don't like it. I used it on a, uh, a track with Corey Wong and Ariel Posen. It's called uh, Spare Tire. Actually, they put it out in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it is it in its full sort of glory, <laughs> ringing like a flip <laughs> church bell. It, it, but it sounds mega on the track, I think. Um, and and so, so very different, you know, to the normal sort of snare sounds. I kind of, I remember hearing Charlie Drayton back, back in the day and, you know, Steve at, Jordan at the time and thinking, you know, in, in my early twenties going, wow, what a snare sound. That's like, it's a massive departure that. Yeah. And I, and I really like the, the sort of difference of it. Um, and it's got that some people are going to hate it, but I think some people are going to go with this, you know, for the money, I'm not sure by the way, what it's going to be, but, um, for the money, I think someone might go, it's worth getting one of those and sticking in the collection. You'd never know, you know, Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you mentioned Charlie and Steve Ooh. and Manu Cachet. Who are some of your other biggest influences as far as studio sounds? I mean, obviously, you know, Gad, mm-hmm. which is, you know, Fat Max is a sort of like, you know, a, a steroids version. Yeah, yeah, it is. Of, of, of Steve's <laughs> sound, you know. Um, yeah, like a sort of caricature of, of, of that, that Gad sort of noise. Um I, you know, I, we, like we all love that sound, you know, I guess it would have been a 400, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know how he got that sound though. It's, it's still kind well, of, elusive. I remember playing one of his snare drums. It was, I'm very lucky to know one of his techs that lives in the UK and, and he just had one of his snares at, at his lockup. And he said, oh, this is one of Steve's. And I, I took it out of the bag and, and, put it on a stand and played it. And I didn't sound like Steve Gadd. <laughs> it's like, okay. Oh, that's, that's amazing. So it's, 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 it's a lot to do with him really. Um, I think it was like a coated, I think he had a coated, um, um, pinstripe on it or something like that. Mm. But it's, it, obviously he makes it sound like that. It, it's, that's, that's the sort of dark art of drumming, I think, mm. or, or sound and in music in general. 
is that what's some your, people... What's your GAD record of, of choice? If you said, what is the Steve GAD snare sound, which record would you pick out? I mean, you know, without a shadow of a doubt, you know, Chucky's in love, for instance. Okay. You know, all of those things uh, of that period, really. Um, Asia and, yeah. And also Jeff at the set, around that time as well. You know, Beccaro, his sound was very different because Steve, you know, uh, my sort of thought of, when I think about Steve Gadd hitting the snare drum is he hits it in the centre but not really necessarily with the, with a rim at the same time. And if I think about Beccaro, it always he always hits in my mind. He might not have done, but the way I perceive him playing is that he's hitting a a rim shot mm. each time he does a backbeat. So it's a very different sound, even if they're playing the same drum, you know. Mm. Uh, yeah. Are you more of a dead center player, or do you do both? I'm, bo I'm both. So if I'm hitting, if I'm hitting a higher drum, it will be a, a, a rim shot, still in center, hopefully. Um, with the Fat Max thing, absolutely no rim shot ever because it, it just it doesn't sound great, really. Mm. But always in the center. And I, I was very, very lucky um, to meet um, Andy Newmark. Um, I was playing with a British band called Squeeze that Andy had played with. And we were doing a, we were off to America to do a, an American tour, but we stopped for a week or two weeks in Bermuda, where Andy Newmark was from originally. And he'd had, he'd been on tour with Eric Clapton, something had changed and he wasn't on tour with Eric anymore. He, and he, he decided to move back to Bermuda and he was running a club. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he was booking the bands basically for this club. It was called the, uh, I want to say, uh, something like, it's literally something like the Beach Bar or Beach Club or something like that in Hamilton. Tiny little music venue. And Andy was booking the bands. And so basically any band that he'd worked with or got any connection with from the UK or the States would end up doing a week or two weeks at this place. And and you, it was fantastic. We were put up at the, at the um, a really fantastic hotel. Uh, and it worked for Squeeze because we did, basically it was two-week warm-up before we did an American tour. Okay. Um, and... Anyway, I got to hang out with Newmark for a couple of weeks um, in Bermuda, where you know there's a there's an album that he recorded with John Lennon called Double Fantasy, which which is a um, Yoko one side and John's songs on the other side mm. um, of the EP. Double Fantasy is a flower that grows uh, in in Bermuda. Uh, so that's where the songs are written, and I think they possibly recorded them there. Um, anyway, we got chatting about, you know, Lennon and his time of working with Lennon, and and he said something to me. I would have been twenty eight, and he said, um, he "said You know what, man?" He goes, "Back in the day, we never we never hit the rim mm. in the in the seventies." He goes, "We never hit the rim in the seventies." Uh, I don't know if that's true or not, but. That's what he said to me. And at that point, I'd never tried to not hit. This was the 90s. Yeah, it's was, all rim shots. Yeah. I'm, it was all, you know, that sound. It's like, it's all cack. <laughs> and I, I like, so that was a that was an interesting concept, someone saying that to me. And I thought, I'm going to try, try doing that. And I said, uh, why is that? And he said, oh, you get a fatter sound if you don't hit the rim. And I was like, hang on, Ash, pause. <laughs> Andy Newmark has just dropped a nugget of gold on you. What are you going to do about it? So I started um, experimenting with not hitting the rim from, from then onwards. And it was difficult because, you know, I'd, I'd had sort of 20 years of my life or whatever, just playing like that. Mm. Um, but then I started to understand what he meant when it was certain tunings, fatter tunings with certain heads, if you hit it in the center, you get a tone like no other really. 
And that's what he, that's what he was referring to. Um, I now know that. Now I'm 52 years old. <laughs> <laughs> so were you trying to do this live or just studio? Where you hit dead center? Or did you change Both. it all? Both. Both, yeah. So I started doing it in that club, funnily enough, probably a couple of nights after he said it to me with that band. And, and um, probably with varying sort of degrees of success. <laughs> um, but it was just a concept of like, okay, wow. I'd never even thought like that. Mm. It's amazing, isn't it? You know, just those little, little um, nuggets of gold from people like that, you know, amazing. Yeah, you know, maybe I'm remembering wrong, but I feel like he, he always had his snare drum angled at him pretty steeply. So that would keep think, him from hitting. Was he it's traditional? I think one he had. Oh, I don't know. Or maybe I don't know. Misremembering. Man, he's someone that I feel like that what over time we've we've forgotten about how great he was in the he studio. He was absolutely fucking exceptional <laughs> and, and still is. And, and you know, there's that whole period of time that, you know, people, have, because these guys don't, they don't talk about it. They're not on social media. They're, they're not doing this. You know, I spoke to Andy a few months ago and I'd love to do something like this with him because I just think it's like, we need to listen to what those guys are saying, you know, the Marotta brothers, Gad. Mm. So as I understand it, Andy and the, um, Jerry Marotta and, uh, um, and Gad, they all lived certainly in New York at the same time. And I, I, I'm, there's a possibility they might've even lived in the same house <laughs> at a certain time, you know, and then they were all in that scene together. Um, and all those ideas and all all this stuff that 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 we all talk about was going on with those guys, uh, and they were sharing that stuff, you know. Mm. Um, and Andy was definitely part of that. And th there's a there's a couple of records. There's a, there's a uh, there's a Freddie Hubbard record called Windjammer, mm. which has got Gad on it and Newmark, and you can barely tell the difference between the two of them. I don't know that record. That's cool. Yeah. They're both they're both on it. Um and it and well Newmark sounds a lot like Gad, actually. Gad still sounds like <laughs> still sounds like him. But you know, Newmark was obviously without question, was obviously fucking hanging out with him. Mm. You know, it just sounds like it. <laughs> Amazing. Any other drummers we should be checking out that we might have overlooked over the years? Over the years, I mean, well, Throne is one I always have to flag up here. Mm -hmm. um, a being a British drummer that that, that did so well in in America mm -hmm. at that time, I think Steve's got like a he's got a special he's he's a special man, but he's got a special sort of personality and approach to the drums. I think I think he's Questlove's favorite drummer, and he's Steve Rowney. I think that makes sense. So you, you, are you into the average white band era or the Tom Petty era or both? Well, both. So, um, so I've, I've got a gig this weekend with Hamish Stewart from the average white band. Nice. Um, and it's really through Hamish that I met, um, Steve really. And then the Gretsch thing, it's all, you know, the planets collide in mm. the end and it's, it's multiple sort of angles, but, um, so all of the stories that I've heard from Hamish about Steve, you know, are, are just buried, buried in there. Um, <laughs> he, he's, he's a special drummer. There's, there's no question about that. Yeah, Brilliant. He's got a distinctive left hand, I would say. You can tell within it's one just, note. It's just his approach to time. It's like, it's, he's got, I think you say it, he's got big cojones <laughs> when he when he plays a groove it's like there's no question you know it, it, that is where it is you know it's so so fabulous um yeah so newmark him andy fell enough lives here steve hmm. i think i don't know if he lives in california but he certainly lives in the states um other guys that we should be flagging up um I tell you a drummer that hardly anybody talks about it and and I'm just waiting for an explosion 
of of somebody sounding like him. Richie Haywood. Mm. Good call. I am not that familiar with him. But every time I see a clip or hear a track, I'm like, what is going on here? It, it, absolutely mega. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's all of the stuff that's, that everybody really likes, but he's a drummer that no one sort of brings up. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, what a feel, you know, little feet. I mean, unquestionable kind of pockets every time. Mm -hmm. you know amazing uh god rest him but yeah so that's one that i very very rarely even hear anyone say it you know lots of drummers from that era their names just keep popping up all the time but mm -hmm. but richie richie doesn't really get a he doesn't get much of a shout so i'm flagging him up as well <laughs> that's a good call that's a good call yeah. i guess if you're not a fan of little feet did he do much yeah. else? I mean, I don't think he no, did much else. No, not really. Although I did see him with Clapton at the mm. Albert Hall. And I think he lasted two gigs. <laughs> I, I, and, I'll, and I'm going to sort of be a bit controversial here. I think he had too much fucking feel for Eric. Mm. I think I think he freaked him out. <laughs> it's like, no, that is actually the thing that, you, that you're aspiring to be. Uh, I, you know, I remember watching it going, fucking hell, this is unbelievable. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I saw, I saw him with Eric Ritchie. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I can't imagine that. I, I mean, my, my memory of Ritchie was he's a big guy too, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> big, <laughs> a little big intimidating guy, big dude. Drunk, <laughs> yeah. Big drum kit. Um, fucking fantastic. I mean, that sort of, you know, that, you know, talking to Stanton, who I adore, uh, that sort of New Orleans, that kind of, gumbo, whatever you want to call mm. it, funk, the sort of like, just that fantastic mix of musics. Uh, Little Feet definitely delivered that, didn't they? You know, it's like country, it's funk, it's rock and roll. Mm. Uh, it's jazz, actually, so harmonically sometimes, it, you know, brilliant, brilliant band. And, and, then, and then rhythmically, everything that was going on, you know, so cool. Definitely one... I think for younger drummers to check out, I mean, it's so extremely groovy. You mm know, -hmm. in, in a way, it's like it's, you've got to check it out. It's like it's like Zigaboo, really. It, mm -hmm. You know, yeah, hard to define. It's like the intangible part of groove, right? Yes, yeah. yeah. And some of the pockets, like I think about um, "Long Distance Love" is a song, right? And it's so ludicrously back. But it's, it's, what a fucking feel. It's just so hard. It's, it's just eighth notes and and back, but in in a, in, a, in such a way, and the sound, of course, as well, of that record. Um, yeah. Well, I'm going to be listening to some Little Feet. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, last question. I'm bringing back my original question from this podcast since I don't, I haven't asked this from anyone in the UK, I don't think. What was your right. first snare drum? Wow. My first snare drum would have been a Premier uh, Olympic um, 14 by 5 um, steel. Mm hmm probably and what was uh, the olympic series was that like the entry level or what yeah sort of this the sort of cheaper level um i wish i had that drum kit still it's concert toms mm. um yeah brilliant why'd so you get rid of it it was just too old for you it was it was gold <laughs> it was like satin gold and uh, <laughs> i think at the, so my, my that was my first kit and then my next kit was that was when I was like 11 years old. Um, my next kit was when I was 17 and I, and I bought it myself. My parents amazingly bought me that drum kit when I, when I was a kid. And then the next kit, I, I saved up my own money and I bought, bought it. And it was, so that would have been 1987. And, and I bought, it was a gun metallic gray grand star Tama. Everybody in the eighties had to have the Tama. That was the yeah. vibe, huh? I had the rack and everything. Um, and the reason I really, really wanted to play Tama was because 
you know, bought Tama, uh, was there's two drummers. Phil Gould from Level 42. Okay. Was playing the the pink version of that trumpet. Uh, he said it's not pink; it's rose or something. <laughs> um, uh, and 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 Copeland, of course. Oh, so right. The, the Tama thing. And I, I always and I still do. He's one of my. You know, I could talk for hours about that that fella. Um, <laughs> and it, those two those two drummers really. I was like, okay, let's let's do this. Let's get a. Oh, also, actually, Gary Wallace was playing with, um, he was a British drummer who was playing with, um, oh, what's that big, uh, Pink Floyd he was playing with. He was, he was on the road with Pink Floyd and he also had, I don't know if he had a grand star, but he certainly had that 80, 87, 88 Tama kit. And I thought I've got to, I've got to do this, and I and, and I loved it. I loved that drum kit, um, and I had it for quite quite a few years. Eight, uh, I think I had eight, ten, twelve, like sixteen, eighteen, whatever. Yeah, it yeah, seems so yeah. wrong for you now. <laughs> <laughs> it was so wrong at the time, um, and I've got I've got a couple of those symbols. I've still got them actually. <laughs> that I bought with that kit. Yeah. So, has any of your snares survived over the years from that era? 70s, 80s? No, sadly not. No. Uh, uh, and there's a couple that I miss, actually. I, with that kit, I had a 14 by 8 piano black um, lacquered Art Star 2. Of course. And I wish I had that now. Mm-hmm. That was an absolute killer. Um, but that went, uh, I don't know where the hell it went to, but it went. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> All right, anyone finds an 8x14 art star when Pano Black and <laughs> send it over to Ash's studio. <laughs> That's your early Christmas present here. Actually, this is coming out after Christmas, so... <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's that's it, man. Thank you so much for sitting oh, down and you. nerding out with me and humoring me with with all these Pleasure. super dorky questions. <laughs> yeah. Sorry about my swearing, but you know it's uh, it's late. <laughs> We're all adults here. It's all good. <laughs> Maybe you can beat them, beep them out. That's it for this week's episode. Hope you enjoyed my chat with Ash. We will be back to a Friday release schedule starting next week. Appreciate your patience with this one. Just a special uh, special release. Wanted to make sure the timing was right. Uh, if you enjoy the show, please head over to iTunes, wherever you get your iTunes. Anyone use iTunes anymore? Spotify or Apple Music, wherever you get your podcast. Uh, drop us a nice review. Five-star rating. That would help spread the word. And, um, yeah, we'll see you next week. Have a good one.